Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here to do a season three wrap-up. This might be the final season. It might not be. They've said, you know, might might be a big gap between this season and whatever potential next season there is. Um, I think that's a great place to leave it. Like, come yeah. back when Holly himself feels like he has something to say in the Fargo universe. Because yeah, I like those shows that do that. They say, if we have a narrative hook, we're coming back. If not... Yeah, we won't. And that's the thing. Like, um, I feel like that's a very unique set of circumstances because there's a lot of stories that Noah Hawley could come up with. So he, he apparently, uh, well, I think he manifestly is a storyteller. Uh huh. Um, but not all of them will be a good fit for the Fargo universe, and the Fargo universe does not lend itself to every conceivable storyline. So he has to have a story idea that actually feels like it would inhabit this uh, midwestern cold sensibility mm-hmm. that they've developed. So um, I mean that you know again, uh, if if it comes back in a few years, uh, I, I mean at this point, if Fargo ever comes back, I will certainly be there to watch it. Um, because even my biggest problems with Fargo, I do not – I would never say there's anything less than really impressive television. Sure. Very well constructed. It looks amazing. The casting alone would be a, a hook to watch it. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about you, but I felt like I left it all in the field last week. I don't f- yeah. have much more in the way of original analysis. Um, you know, there's a lot of people uh, – there's a lot more feedback supporting our – enjoyment of the season because hmm. I felt like that was the one thing that was kind of disappointing last week is the, all the feedback was pretty one-sided which is fine because our feedback was or you know our personal feedback was pretty one-sided too so uh, right. it's, it's a bit more of a, a nice mix this week yeah I mean I would just say you know I feel like looking back on it my my feeling on this season was pretty hot and cold yeah um, there are moments of it like I, I think it started off as uh oh, this could be more Fargo, and yes. I don't know if that's what I want. Yeah, because Fargo ended with a. Even though I think it redeemed itself in the finale of the uh-huh. season two, that that I, I think it left a sour taste in both of our mouths that we carried forward into this season. And I, and I don't necessarily want to watch the same formula over and over again. I guess, um, and I was worried that it could be that. But I think, you know, despite maybe a couple of episodes that I didn't really get into, I think the season as a whole really avoided that trap, um, did more with it than we expected, ended up being really good. Yeah, no. Um, so I think we should just get right to feedback. Okay. Uh, Susan's up first. She says, could you please explain the first season or first scene of season three, the one with the man gets interrogated in his slippers? Oh, How boy. did that scene tie into the rest of the show? I would like to hear about that in the wrap-up episode. Well, you're in luck, Susan, because we're about to talk about it. <laughs> Do you have any? Because I I have a very crystal clear idea of what I think that was supposed to suggest, um, mm-hmm. and it was multi layered and really didn't come together until the final episode. Um, so people could be forgiven not to make the connection. Hmm. But I want to see if you had my only analysis on it is really just surface level. You know, it's about telling a story that we know is not true, but it becomes true simply by the fact of telling it. Sometimes, uh-huh. um, so I. I think, you know, that was the bulk of what they were getting at. Now, I know there are other layers to peel back, and I think you'll probably do that. Okay. So I the way I see it in Susan, I, I gave this a very light treatment last last week. Um, mm-hmm. But the way I see it is it's a mirror image of the final scene. You have a corrupt state official um, who cares nothing for the truth and nothing for justice uh, railroading a man, an innocent man, uh, into some kind of murder charge uh, mm. with Gestapo tactics. 
Uh, in the final scene, you have a righteous state official uh, who cares about the truth and cares about what's real or what's not. Uh, uh, nevertheless, using the tool of, of half-truths and lies to convict a very guilty, very evil man. Mm-hmm. So it's just essentially a yin and yang. It's 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 a negative copy of the first uh, of, of of the final scene that we got. Now, I think the only way that they can have made that clear is not have ten episodes between them. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but also, like I I like the framing device of literally zooming in on the frame to show that this is connected to far the the, the Fargo. Um, and I kind of wish there was a similar thing where I don't know. I don't know why there'd be an East German interrogation room hanging up in the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it's too bad there wasn't something like that to kind of really, you know, or maybe they could have zoomed into Gloria's microphone or something to kind of really drive that point home. The second mm-hmm. point, which is not as important, is it also is is the first thing to build in your mind when you meet Yuri. Because remember, there's a lot of discussion about is this is it coincidence? This guy's Yuri is this Yuri's son? Yeah. Because you know, the 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 Yuri that we meet later is the the actual murderer, um, and it establishes the the coincidences of names and uh, how that can get twisted up. But it also starts to sow doubt in our mind about the true nature of Yuri's character. And whether he mm-hmm. is some immortal evil that keeps getting reincarnated to uh, to to bring suffering in in Eastern European lands again and again and again, I, I think those are the. I mean, that's that's pretty much the alpha and omega of what that scene means. What if they had Yuri walk in at the end <laughs> to uh, take Thulus away, or see like, um, uh, yeah, that'd be hmm. That, I, I, I think that'd be a bit too on the nose, <laughs> yeah. but like if you if you had like uh, if you zoomed in on a, a hospital bed in like some I don't know some kind of Slavic country that had a Yuri being born, that mm-hmm. would be kind of interesting to see that the cycles repeating. But uh, I know you were not entirely serious, yeah. About that, yeah. But uh, I think they could. I, I don't know. Like I said, I I don't feel like. I felt I felt like that worked for me, and I got it, and I understand why people mm-hmm. didn't, and I can even see like I I'm not here to change your mind about how you feel Fargo. If you felt <laughs> like the finale was a bunch of bullshit, I don't know that there's anything that I can say because what I've seen with myself and what I've seen with many others is once you reach a threshold of suspension of disbelief being shattered, you start noticing every you want to start talking about Hollywood silencers, and you want to start talking about you know, how you disable cars and you want to start talking, you just want to nitpick everything to justify your purely subjective reaction mm-hmm. uh, when when you come in conflict with another person whose subjective reaction is to love it. Mm-hmm. You want to justify your anger. Um, and it's a lot easier to justify people's anger and disbelief because, I mean, that's all Hollywood is, is trickery and bullshit. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like nothing you see is real. Like on a very literal, literal uh, uh, level, nothing yeah. you see. When when Chuck on bra- better, uh, breaking uh, or Better Call Saul is tearing apart his house, they literally had to go to the set and put fucking like insulation and wiring in the walls he's destroying because they didn't exist before. Yeah. So like it's easy to nitpick the nitpick and say bullshit on stuff, and I, I I'm just as guilty. Like. Um, most of the feedback about hating this, you could apply just as easily to my saying bullshit when the UFO showed up. Sure. So I I just want to get that out. I'm not, if I can help you, uh, uh, greater appreciate it, or if you're on the fence and confused and I can, I can help you enjoy something that you're predisposed to enjoy, happy to help. But I I don't think I can, 
I can do anything but give a voice to the people that hate this season. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on. Lou and Jay. I thought the background photography of the prairie during the shooting cleanup was insanely beautiful. In a world of alternative facts, what we have to cling, to, what do we have to cling to? But the feelings that such beauty evokes. Um, I agree, and that's one thing that I feel like has. I felt like in the beginning of Bald Move, we did a better job of highlighting like just beautiful imagery and shots and stuff. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it it feels like you're just treading the same ground. Like I. I... Yeah, I often like find myself admiring a shot or something, and then not really talking about it because it kind of does. It has the same effect as shots I've talked about before. Yeah, um, and there are notable moments like that. Uh, I think in Leftovers there was a very specific shot sure. in one of the later episodes of last season um, where we did note it because it was just so striking. But yeah. I, I think a, you know, we talk about that stuff from time to time on the podcast. But b, you just get jaded as a viewer also like you've seen so many nice beautiful images on screen that it's hard to even sometimes recognize what you're seeing yeah and like we're very new at like art appreciation like Mm -hmm. i don't think either of us goes back further than a decade as far as like going out and and starting Uh to, to, to look at quality stuff um so like the first few times where you like see the artifice and how beautiful it is and the feeling that it evokes and it's kind of like a new and novel thing and it's like oh this is like um this is like a mathematical formula or principle that that they they do to make things feel this and make this character look <laughs> right. heroic it's kind of amazing yeah but then it's like do you want you us know, to bring up the the two-thirds rule like every time they do it on screen um, right it's like if you watch a cooking show and every time they add salt it's like you want to yeah. add this salt because man people really go fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah it really yeah it really brings out the flavor <laughs> like that i mean and I, I feel like the really good cooking shows do do that they're not self-conscious about it because they yeah. realize like like the bald move fans have been with us for five years are the mm-hmm. tip of the iceberg because it just keeps getting so like for we, sure we would do well to probably dwell more on that stuff but it's not personally interesting to us and we would and i think i think there are a lot of things on the show where we would even do well to treat it more like a show and less like a conversation you know like explain to people the scene that we're talking about before we go and talk about it yeah um in some of these podcasts but you know i i mean a, a lot of this is just it's an organic conversation between aaron and i and you know if we're if it's something that we wouldn't necessarily bring up in a conversation like oh did you see that badass shot when i don't know uh the Fargo guy's head exploded. <laughs> uh, look at the framing there, how the blood sprays. <laughs> right, right. Um, then we probably wouldn't talk about it on the podcast. Reminds me of the flower petals in American Beauty. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 we essentially just kind of follow our bliss here, and um, that yeah. stuff has been less blissful of late. But I appreciate you doing the job for us, Luann. Rebecca D., I'm confused about what Nikki's plan was just before the officer drove up. If she had wanted to flee the country and establish herself as a pro card player in Canada... Her half of the money that she gave the wrench would be a vital part of that plan. By rejecting the money, she rejects that potential future. Nikki also rejected the offer of a mercenary life with wrench. She didn't want to live that life, which I think is a rational decision. Those lives are brutish and short. I propose. I suppose Nikki's third option would have been to turn herself in to the police after executing Emmett to try to atone for her crimes and also to try to set the record straight on Ray's death. If that really was her intention, though, she could have just shot Emmett as the officer was driving up. So what do you think would happen after she shot Emmett? Maybe she had put all of her energy trying to get herself to that point and had no plan for the future. Maybe her divine mission was always a suicide mission. Maybe the Wandering Jew merely gave her a few more months uh, uh, to pursue her vengeance. Yeah, it's a fair question. Um... I mean, I, that's, I cannot 
speculate on what her plan post-killing Emmett would be. Yeah, I don't think they really hint at that in the show. And there's, I mean, I think that sometimes, and, you know, I uh, someone accused me in feedback of being an apologist for the show, which is hilarious in light of season two. Um, but I, I know, I kind of know what you're getting at, because I want to say that, well, it's kind of interesting that we don't know that. We have this time jump where we see Wrench and Nikki still active, and they've learned sign language, and they've got this deeper, you know, a, a deeper partnership relationship than you would have suspected. And that's just the fact that they show that matter factly is kind of thrilling and interesting. Mm-hmm. But it does leave; it does have a lot of the drawback is, is it's very ambiguous, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I I still like my theory from last week that Nikki was actually following the wrong. She was she was giving her. It, it's kind of like. Um, she she's the prophet that went to the wrong town. Yeah, and you know, like you know, when when and when prophets do that in biblical history, they get shit like swallowed by a whale. Uh, you know, like like once you st- stray off the path of God's uh, mission, you no longer have His divine protection. So shit like a uh, state trooper rolling up on you. No, there's no more green Volkswagens, and all you right. get is state troopers with with uh, crack shots with pistols. So. I don't, it, I don't know. It's possible that she doesn't even know herself, right? She might yeah. be so focused on this mission that she hasn't stopped to think ahead. Yeah, I mean, maybe she kills Emmett and then gets a hold of Wrench and's like, you know what? Uh, I think we're meant to be. Let's let's have a life. Of- <laughs> maybe I'm gonna teach yeah. you how to play bridge, and you're just gonna look angry, and you're and, and, and you can't. You're a mute, so you're gonna give nothing away, and you're like the <laughs> ultimate partner. And, um. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there was really no hint of romance there, but there yeah. was a strong partnership. And what she did, I don't. Know, I don't know. I, I feel like that she was. She was giving. She was following the wrong divine mission, and that's how she ultimately left. Met her demise, and also mm-hmm. she did things something like shoot a cop that God wouldn't approve of, uh, or <laughs> most most Western Judeo Christian notions of God wouldn't agree with. Ray Weiss certainly wouldn't. Ray Weiss. Yeah. yeah, like he's, he's sure he'll mock a Jesus. Yeah, but shoot a cross, cop. But shoot a cop. Come on, come on. Um, all right, let's move on. Margaret W. This was by far my favorite season. I think one day, and, and for the haters, uh, we're gonna have a couple of positive takes and we'll have a couple of negative takes. So I'm, I'm trying to bring balance to the force here. Uh, I think one day we'll look back at this season of Fargo and recognize it as an iconic American tragedy in the vein of Citizen Kane or There Will Be Blood. The way in which Holly manages to spin this incredibly American allegory and have it speak to so many current issues is one of the most sublime things I've seen in a while. Hmm. VM Varga is more than just a mustache-twirling villain. His bulimia and horrible teeth and overall countenance made him almost not human. He's a monster, and on some levels, his bulimia is a manifestation of the insatiable greed of his uh, of Varga and the invisible interest he represents. He's a citizen of the air and therefore not subject to normal restraints encountered by the rest of us. The obvious references to right-wing fascist and oligarchical ideologies seems prescient. Fargo Season 3 goes out of its way to point out how these authoritarian types, maybe even some reincarnated people in some places, have plagued humanity throughout history. The kinds of violence waged by Varga and his band of kleptocrats is an economic violence as much as a physical and other types of violence. Uh, But nevertheless, she says, I'm sorry to admit it, I interpreted the ending that Varga is the one who got away. Um... I mean, yeah, I I do think that this is a season of television that will grow in estimation. Yeah. Um, as because because you know almost no one's watching it. Like, 
uh, out of 330-some-odd million people in the United States, less than a million people tuned in to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, when this thing hits Netflix, when this thing hits Hulu and Amazon on demand and all that stuff, like, um, I, I don't know. I, 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 because it's the other thing, it's a third season of an anthology, and I don't know that it'll catch fire the way you know stuff like Breaking Bad does when right. it hits that, because you might get to end of season one like oh that's great and then season two is so different and then it's like ah, i'm just i'm just not into it um because yeah. because like an anthology should work like hey i might not have liked this season but i'm always going to come back for next season because i like the creators and i like their process and not everything's going to be for me and i'm not invested in the plot it's just you know it's kind of like the reason you go see a coen brothers film when it comes out mm-hmm. like some of them are good some of them are bad some of them are mediocre but you always watch it because the potential for greatness is there Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to say that that that's cr- true, but what is it about the? Well, it's tougher to build the momentum that something like a serialized drama. Yes, yeah, so I'm can saying do, pop right? culture's like, not really set up to yeah. like the the critics did their best to you know make this a darling, and I guess if it wins a lot of Emmy awards, that's like like root for Carrie Coon, mm-hmm. um, uh, really hard to uh, win some Emmys for Fargo, and and I definitely think it's going to be have its hat in a ring. Although it's it's a really I mean, packed. If Carrie Coon's going to win for anything, it's not going to be Fargo. But it would be fun to see her actually get nominated twice. Oh, in the same category, I don't even yeah. know if that's legal. <laughs> I'll make it legal. And we need Palpatine here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, we need a strong leader to push that <laughs> thing through. Um, but I, I guess if you want this to happen, you know, follow the Emmys because I think that's the, the it's, its last shot to get um, – mm. you know, or, 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 I, I mean, the other thing is, like, it depends on how history goes and – whether this like like you know sometimes these pictures of our times are not appreciated in their time as well sure so anyway um moving on to harris Inn. uh as for the fargo finale i think what they're saying with the ambiguous ending is that they can't tell us the answer because the answer is up to us yes and so far as varga is representative of some of the worst aspects of our modern society the ending is the writers challenging us to decide who wins yep I, i agree with that Yep. Does Varga and his tactics of misinformation and immoral capitalism win, or does Gloria with the notion of actual truth win? Fargo can't answer that for us because it's a question of our current society. It's up to all of us to provide the answer. I totally agree. With the, with the added spices, I, I don't think Gloria wins with the actual truth here. I think Gloria wins by telling a good story. That <laughs> that and, and And the story that has a desired effect upon the culture she wants, and I see that a lot in politics, where <laughs> very rarely do fact and information carry the day it's more you know bullshit that like it's 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 whoa, Joe the plumber, it's uh you know no new taxes it's uh if you like your plan, you can keep your plan, like stuff that's not literally true mm-hmm. but appeals to a person's way that they they are predisposed to see the world and 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 want to hear and whether it's true or not is almost secondary and i you know i don't know it's like i feel like that we as a culture have allowed that to happen time and time again and not hold anyone on either side accountable and certainly no one like that's just political um you know when you're talking about bankers and uh, international currency investors and things like that. Um, podcasters, and, and podcasters, Wall yeah. Street uh, analysts, like like they're even less accountable yeah. for shit like that. So, you know, you get you know it's 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 uh, it's 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 a trite quote, but you get the government that you deserve. 
Yeah, I mean, if that weren't true, I don't know that this season of Fargo is possible, or certainly that it has the effect um, that, the, that it did. Yep. Uh, Angela from Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, Count me among the fans of Fargo Season 3. I enjoyed the overall theme. I think this season, as I understand it, the individual arcs of redemption are long and winding and unique. They sometimes just sort of peter out along the way or make a hard reverse, and so good might not initially win out. It was a more precise, thoughtful, and compelling message than the other two seasons, which, again, in my opinion, did not seem to veer too far from there is good and there is evil. I mean, of course, all three seasons had pretty great things to say about families, about violence as a tool, about how women fit into the world beyond their homes and their struggles for legitimacy. All of Fargo so far has addressed these concepts and others in really astute ways, but its central message I was most drawn to is the one for season three. Also, the supernatural element. Perhaps because I'm pretty active in my church, and so religion seems to be my superstition of choice, I thought the wandering Jew and the overt biblical references showed more depth and insight into the human character and served a stronger narrative purpose than that either the fishnado or the UFO oh, visits. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I'm not religious, so... There, same here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the supernatural element is there for a reason in Season 3, to underscore the core theme of redemption and to make it manifest in the sort of purgatory of the bowling alley, um, where Nikki and Wrench were given a shot at redemption while Yuri was condemned for being irredeemable. Whereas the fishnado and UFOs seem to be kooky devices to get the plot from point A to point B while sort of mumbling something about life's randomness. Um, we also, okay, it's the main, the main villain, season one's Malvo was much more chilling than Varga, and season two didn't really have one main, but a handful mm. of colorful and different ways villains, none of which match Malvo for viciousness, and none of whom spent enough time with to burrow into their psyches. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's the conventional wisdom, that they went for, they, they knew they couldn't outdo Malvo, so they went for quantity over quality. But Vargas seemed to have the most to him. While mysterious to the end, he also is a fleshed-out person with understandable motives, neuroses, and reactions. Part of the reason I, for one, believe Gloria is proven right in the end is that Vargas dragged away to Rikers by three burly DHS agents is that if the overall season narrative was about redemption, then Vargas must similarly be condemned as Yuri was for being irredeemable. Uh, she also says, I think he goes down because if, for no other reason, if he's so untouchable, why would the government bother to allow him to get on the watch list in the first place? Um, yeah, I guess I'm not totally on board with the the theme, the big overarching theme of this season being that redemption, because I don't think Nikki gets it. Um, I I don't know that Emmett had much redemption. That well, no, I he, think he comes who, to terms with his his mistakes, but how do you redeem after that fact? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. Um... I'm not saying there this that's not the main theme of the season because I also agree as a as a secular atheist I agree that I the supernatural element here really uh, appealed to me and it's because mm-hmm. I mean I guess if I could if I could choose which truth to believe I'd like to believe in a world where there's a there is an all powerful being that watches over us and makes sure that the the accounts are balanced and similar in the way that every time there's like a terrorist attack or some crazy gunman i really wish there was batman right like how awesome would it be if when a bunch of assholes get together to do bad like some fucking hideous shadow would swoop down and brutalize them yeah. and we could go on with our lives batman is unfortunately not real uh and you know you, you can make up your own mind about god but i'm, I'm sympathetic for it and i kind of eat that that up because that seems like there should be cosmic justice in the world yeah uh, i mean there should doesn't you know it takes it doesn't necessarily mean there is and i think the the overall theme here being you know the the stories that we're telling um the the fact versus fiction the you know which is more powerful 
uh, I think that's the overarching theme, and that's why I think that Varga does get away with it. Mm. Because I think he's got the better story. He's more practiced at it, certainly. Mm. I think that... It, so my contra to that is similar to I think that if uh, a belief in the afterlife and a, a judgmental God kind of takes the pressure off of human shoulders to like, yeah, you know, to true. be the change you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that believing that Varga wins um, implies that we can't make a difference. Or I, I guess, would you say that your yeah. interpretation it underlines the urgency of us all making a difference that you can't just, leave it up to one or two people that we all have to be active and yeah i mean i i don't because it seems like, like it's such uh, a depressing ending that you're choosing for sure for sure um but but i think a lot about the show says that i mean look at nikki's end right like she's sent on this divine mission by god she mistakes the mission goes on the wrong one and gets killed well but i without yeah, ever yeah. accomplishing it so i it's too damn bad that they've mixed her meta because because I do believe that, but everything in the show tells me that she was on the right mission because they used the the whole Obadiah prophecy, which is about Esau, which is about the older brother, right? Um, right. and it's it's I feel like that's the right answer, but then the show mixed her metaphors. But I don't I don't think that Emmett was ever the evil, right? Like Emmett Emmett made some like iffy choices somewhere along the way with the stamp collection and his brother. But I don't think he was evil. No. I think the only pure evil in this was Vargas crew. Right, right. No, I I agree with that. If you're on a mission against evil, I think that's who you're on the mission against. I I agree with that. Um, It's just that's the thing where I'm just not sure how to interpret that because I like my interpretation, but it flies in the face of the literal metaphors they were using to tell the story, in which case – it seemed like God. If 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 God wanted vengeance against Emmett, then uh, well, he it seems like too. yeah, <laughs> he kind of like took it, the hand off the wheel. Yeah, or I mean, maybe Nikki was you know, it, it was the other way around. Nikki was the aide to Wrench to let him take justice or take vengeance on Emmett. Yeah. Either way, it's too bad about the, the cop. End, yeah. Uh, Eric Walquist, um, who, mm-hmm. if you recall, was our resident Fargo file from season one, right? Um and uh, is the co-host of the uh, Halt and Catch Fire podcast you guys do, which, which by the way is that coming up this fall, August nineteenth. Oh when it comes shit! Back, they just coming announced into the date. Sum- hot, hot, hot time summer in the city. Yeah, final season. How's your the back of your neck feeling? Good. The hot Good. and greediness levels are nominal. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem yet. I come All back right. in August. Ask me then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric says I'm with you, Aaron. I thought this was the best season of Fargo to date. I also thought it was two of the most poignant and memorable episodes of television I've ever seen. Not because of great characters or set pieces or action sequences, but because of the questions the episode made me ask myself and answers I found therein. The first of these two episodes is the Law of Non-Contradiction, or the quote-unquote L.A. episode. The Oof. big message I got from that episode was the potential meaning of life itself. This is a good – so bear with them because yeah, yeah, yeah. this is a really good and unique take that I, that I like. But it, okay. it, it's, it's got a wind-up to it. The little robot and his immortal wisdom rode through the centuries with a single purpose, to witness. And in the end, he had ultimately fulfilled his purpose, and while he could not change history, he was there to see it unfold. His ability to witness history has was his ultimate value. As biological sensors ourselves, seeing, hearing, feeling, etc., this purpose resonates with me at a core level uh, as far as the human experience. Perhaps our purpose is to do nothing more than witness history as it happens, uh, which reminds me of the curse, may you live in interesting times. The second episode that resonated strongly for me was the finale and its final scene. Ultimately, it doesn't matter who walks in the door after the lights fade to black. This is, after all, a story. It ends when the credits roll. 
What does matter, however, is the audience, what the audience wants to happen. The show is challenging its viewers with the question, if you have unlimited financial resources, should you have a distinct and unfair advantage in the world? And is a person's value directly tied to his or her bank balance? If you say yes, you probably hope that Varga gets away again. If you say no, then you hope that Gloria finally catches the bad man. What you hope for tells you who you are. That's not only brave television, it's groundbreaking. As you said, this season is a morality play. I feel the strongest correlation between the Coen brothers' work and this season of Fargo is No Country for Old Men. There is indeed evil in this world, and most of it's unstoppable. Good people can fight against it, but it's a Sisyphean task, and many times those good people become bad people in the process. See the war on drugs and the war on terror. What can we do, however, is witness it. We can enter evil into the annals of history, make it a cultural lesson, such as the Trail of Tears, the slave trade, the Holocaust, and hopefully work to avoid and prevent it before it takes hold in the future. In the end, recording history might be heroic enough. Yeah, I I mean, I agree that that is a, a useful function of people, right? To document and, and hope that their ancestors will learn from their mm-hmm. mistakes. Um, but I feel like it also abdicates a little bit of the responsibility of doing something in the present. Um, you, you know, and I don't think that's what he's suggesting. I think he's suggesting that we actually do take action as the, well. The, even if you are powerless in the grand scheme of things, that bearing witness does serve a purpose. And I, Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to get a little deep and off to the, the, the sides a little bit, like I guess... Up until the last few years, I kind of thought that it would be impossible for the world to have, like, another world war or to go back into a Cold War. To have, hmm. you know, some of these things is, like, just, like, well, we, we know better. Like, I mean, there might never be another Great Depression because we learn from that and we put controls in place. And um, I don't know. The world seems, like, more unstable now than it was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of blowing my mind. Um so I don't know, like this, this, this really resonated with me because, like, I remember the first time I actually called a congressperson, and it was over like net neutrality, and then you know, uh, I, I guess I felt like our, my side won the day, and I, I felt like it had an effect. And the second time uh, has been recently with the, the healthcare debate. Like, I live in Ohio; it's one of the swing states. There's uh, one of the people that one of the few people in the country that can apply pressure. So I decided to give give the guy a call. Um, mm-hmm. Well. We'll see. But, like, I've never – like, I've always followed politics, but there's only been two times where the threshold of action is tripped. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like nowadays, whether you're on either side, like, we are on those one of these, um, you know, uh, uh, this, these thresholds of action uh, where people are getting off the benches and getting into play. Uh, and to the extent that Fargo encourages that line of thinking and that line of action, I think it's great. I think more people should – like, it's it's kind of – the, sh- uh, the the shame of the world um, that the average American is so not involved in the pro- their, the political process. Like, yeah. not even half our citizens vote. But I do also agree with the emailer that you know it's it's a super valuable thing in um, I guess cinema. That's not the right word here. I don't know the word for television at the moment. Uh-huh. It's not popping into my brain. You're right. Uh, well, I mean, but it's, but it's a super television is not the right word either. No, television is not the right word. Uh, Audio visual entertainment. Sure. But I, I want to go further than entertainment because it is valuable for people to be asking themselves where they stand on an issue. And then in, yeah. in as much as, you know, movies or television or radio or music, whatever can get you questioning where you stand on an issue. I think that's important because it is very easy to become complacent. Yeah. And, you know, I find that 
you know, the older I get, the easier it is because right. there are plenty of other things to be thinking about at any time in my life. And there's more to lose. And, and yeah, you have stakes, you know, you've mm-hmm. built up uh, a life that you don't want to change that much. Right. And, right. Uh, so I think it is important not just to, you know, for people to think about, but also for people to, you know, do something about. Yeah. And I, I, I also don't understand the people that say, God, I, I hate like, there's so much politics. Why do we everything have to revolve back to politics? Why can't I just watch fucking Fargo? I mean, that's one of the most important things in your entire Not life. Not only that, but the only time <laughs> shit gets like this is when there's real division and no, real disunity. And that's yeah. the that's when you want to put your eye on the fucking ball. And like the people just like, I want my bread. And I don't understand you. And I think you should be ignored. Or defeated because <laughs> if everyone felt that way, the peop- the powers that be would just run roughshod yeah, over they do us. whatever they want. You like literally, you are literally the smaller prey animal going limp in the mouth of the larger one. Yeah. When you say fuck politics, why do I have to hear about politics? You're in it. You're in it. Yeah. So three, two, one. Welcome to the Fargo podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna do, we're, retake this whole thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kinnell, I feel like I'm one of the only people who liked the season, in particular the finale. It would have, uh, I would have to go watch the first season again to check, but I believe this may be the best season so far. The supernatural element of the Wandering Jew was fantastic and didn't throw off the story like the UFO, which I'm angry about. Mm-hmm. This still angry about, he says. Me too. This is also the first season I watch week to week rather than binge in two or three days, which allowed huh. me to sit on the themes of the week and fully appreciate the storytelling. Man, I wish that could be A-B tested. Because I do feel like there's a lot, there's a lot of analysis about the effects of binging and distracted watching versus weekly on serialized television. Yeah. Uh, I mean, short of lobotomization, I don't know how you can ever MIB MIB style, like memory wiping. Right. Uh, As for, if I want to see a season four, I definitely do, but do not mind that they don't make one. Holly needs to make, take his time to develop a truly fantastic story. If he feels he cannot make one, then that is fine. He has already given us three spectacular seasons. Um, I agree. And here's the other thing why I kind of want him to go away for a while. Uh, I've, I've expressed this several times. I like to see, because I think I've, I've, between Legion and Fargo, where I was skeptical about both and he kind of won me over by the end, I'm very impressed with his ability to tell a story visually, uh, through the acting, the dialogue, the writing process. Like He just like seems like he's a triple threat kind of guy. And I'd really like to see him off in his own universe. Mm-hmm. Like, if you just take the shackles off and, like, this is not a Marvel property, this is not a Coen Brothers thing, just what is your raw creativity? Like, what is he capable of? Yeah. Um, and I know he's got a lot of irons in the fire, so so uh, strike strike those while they're hot. Steven from Florida. I personally love the finale. It made a fantastic book into how the beginning of the season opened up, and I also feel it connects to the, the every title sequence of all 30 episodes. Certain events have occurred. Whether you believe them or not, a certain truth will be told. It's up to the viewer what that truth is. The names of the survivors and blah, blah, blah we get at the beginning of each episode echoes what we've been watching all this time. It's up to the viewer. Did the aliens show up at the end of season two? Was there really a fish NATO in season one? Did Nikki get the mission from God this past season? It doesn't matter because the fact of it is we got to point B from point A. And how we get to point B, how we got to point B is up to the eye of the beholder. Um, yeah, like I, that's... Um, he says, that's the beauty of Noah Hawley's writing. It creates a conversation of what is real, what is fact, and what you ultimately believe in. Mm-hmm. And, and I do feel like this is the first season to fully develop that theme. And maybe that theme wasn't even – it was more of an ironic hook about, like, you know, uh, the fact that Fargo tried to act like this was a true story. Famously, it was not. And he's mm-hmm. But this felt like an actual 
taking that concept beyond ironic and 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 an aping of style and doing something original with it, which I I really enjoyed. Hey, before we pivot to the bad the the the, the hater emails, let's put it that way. The the people that don't like season three, uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, Club Bald Move because here's the reality. I'm gonna be straight with you. Fargo would never have happened had we still been working full time jobs. No, and, be, and, and not because we don't like it. Um, it is a fact that it's one of our smaller shows mm-hmm. in terms of listenership. Um, uh, but we do enjoy covering it. But if 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 we were working full time jobs, probably neither Fargo or The Leftovers would have gotten covered. We'd have just rolled with the familiar brand of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, and yeah. we never would gotten the podcast. So if you've enjoyed especially these smaller shows like The Leftovers and Fargo. Um, it's disproportionately on you to support the club because if 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 the club falters or bald move fails or we have to go back to getting uh, full time jobs, uh, these are the type of shows that are going to be the first ones to get cut. It's not going to be the Game of Thrones necessarily. It's going to be Mr. Robot. It's going to be Fargo. It's going to be uh, shows of that ilk. And I get it that it's it's not going. It's going to be a while before Fargo comes back, but. You know, baldmove.com does a lot of stuff and a lot of things that I think ever, uh, the people would enjoy. And the, the the reason we can do so much and the breadth of the content is because of the club. And it's not just the satisfaction of keeping us afloat and the, the your continued enjoyment of our free material. We also have a bunch of bonus features. Like last night we recorded a review of Baby Driver, the new Edgar Wright film. And uh, the free pop part of the podcast is our general impressions, and we talk about the trailers. We actually had a really funny uh, back and forth about Stephen King's It and Insane, Insane Clown Posse, and that got funny. But the spoiler section is just for club members, and we actually had a kind of meta talk about the next film, the Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, we're going to put a clip of that at the end of the show for you to enjoy to kind of get an idea of what you're missing out on by not being a club member. Uh, go to club.baldmove.com, support independent podcasting, keep our bits flowing, get a bunch of free, cool, con- or not free, premium, mm. premium content for for you to enjoy. Ad-free feeds, lots of stuff. Go to club.baldmove.com for details. And thanks in advance for your support because we need it. Uh, are we ready for some negative takes? Oh, sure. Bring them on. Here we go. Dan from Philly. You both are out of your fucking minds. I've watched all 10 weeks of this show, listened to 10 weeks of your podcast, and been late to work 10 goddamn Thursdays. <laughs> what? And you say the choose-your-own-adventure ending was great? Man, fuck that. I'm so sick of artsy endings to series that don't need them. In my humble opinion, if you have what is a seasonal anthology series incorporating characters that aren't going to be used again, give me a real ending. I'd rather have an ending that I hate rather than what is a creative cop-out. I think you do have an ending that you hate. (laughs) Uh, That's true, yeah. Sopranos did it horribly. The Leftovers did it admirably. This show is neither. If Holly wants to ape the Coen brothers, then goddammit, ape their endings as well. Man, um, how can you defend that, Dan, uh, from a perspective of No Country for Old Men? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Coens have a lot of different endings. Yes. Um, I think, you know, if you're looking for a capper to the story, that's one thing, right? Like, I, if you who sit back and say... Who Who... Right. I, I want to know guys. how the story ends. I'm invested yeah. in these characters, and it's it, that's the interesting part to me. I can totally see why you would say, I don't want to be up in the air at the end of this. I want to know. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for some kind of meaning and value to society, I think there's more merit to the, the ambiguous ending. 
And I, I feel like the, the older I get and the more shit I watch, the more I, I'll cop to liking the artsy-fartsy stuff because it's it's unique and it's interesting. And yeah. it's, it's allows it me to, you know, oh, wow, I, that, that doesn't happen very often because it is so polarizing. Um, but also I think there's a difference between – I've seen endings where it's a creative cop-out where they have laid no foundation and just to see, yeah. the show ends and it's like, oh, what an auteur I am. Mm-hmm. But this felt very carefully constructed – to hold our hands and lead us to this moment and then be like, it's up to you. Sure. Um, and that's why, like, again, yeah, it's choose your... Um, I, 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 and, and most of the time I'm I'm with you. I'm, I'm with the emailer here because I'm usually more into television for entertainment than, like, some profound insight into the world or myself. Uh-huh. Um, there are very few shows, I think Leftovers is one, where it's not just entertainment for me, it's something more meaningful. And this show, I think, had that going on this season. So why do shows? Because I'll I'll admit to like I enjoy both types like kind of equally. What is it mm-hmm. about some shows that slip between the chinks in your armor? I guess I, I I mean I guess they hit me just in the right spot sometimes. Um, something that's particularly relevant to either my life or the way I see the world at the, at the time that I'm watching it. Um, and then others, you know, I can enjoy just for the entertainment value, even if the message isn't something I'm into. Plus, I guess it doesn't hurt that you are talking about the epitome of this kind of thing, right? You're not mm-hmm. talking about the late night television version of this kind of pl- plot twist, right? Does that make sense? Late night television, but like, like it's it's like if you say you you if you say you can't you you hate country music categorically you're mm-hmm. kind of an asshole right because johnny cash is pretty fucking cool yeah right like sure. if you can't at least say that like the jo- like the greatest hits album of johnny cash is good music then you're kind of an asshole so like this these these fargos and leftovers <laughs> are the Folsom Prison Blues of the ambiguous artsy fartsy ending, right? Yeah, like they're the best example you can think of. And I think you know there are flavors for everyone, right? Okay, let's say you don't like Garth Brooks, well, you might like Chris Gaines. I say give it a shot. <laughs> At least check it out. I say that's the same shit squeezed in the same bag, and you know it's all. Uh, I actually I like Garth Brooks, so I do too. Not uh, so much Chris Gaines. There you go. Uh, th- a couple other thoughts. It's kind of funny. This is uh, um, Dan from Philly. It's kind of funny that Varga hired Yuri since they're both prone to long-winded, didatic stories. <laughs> Can you imagine being cooped up with the tr- in a truck with Varga and Yuri for months? No oh, wonder Jesus. Mimo wore earbuds all the time. Yeah. Good yeah. Point. I'm a blowhard myself, but wow. <laughs> wow, these guys. Uh, I also didn't think the Emmett Thanksgiving scene as Emmett or didn't view it as him having redeemed himself. He'd kept the blood money fortune. He'd retreated inward. And was just having a nice family life with his wife, children, and Sai. Emmett wasn't a villain, but he made a lot of wrong choices that had done serious harm to a lot of people. Um, he says he thought his life at the end was fundamentally uh, selfish. Also, hmm. um, it was pretty despicable of Wrench to intentionally traumatize Emmett's family. I, I know, I never really thought of it that way. It's like, what is Emmett? It's like Emmett's just taking yeah. forever with the fruit salad. Let me go. Ah! You know, and they're right. I mean, were there kids in, at the table? I think so. Oh yeah, because yeah. he had like the, a grandkid at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks for them. Sure does. It sucks for them. But wrench. Look at the man. Does he give a fuck? No. no, no, no. He doesn't. He was getting a shit beat out of him. He was that kid's age. Um. All right, Jason H. 
I like the open-ending finale, but I could tell my wife did not when she blurted out, you got to be fucking kidding me. That's it? <laughs> I see her point, and her point is we watch TV and movies to escape reality and not be reminded of our position in life. But I Sometimes. like that personal ending. That Key point. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. We watch some TV. Like, there's there's different different types of TV watching. Yeah. Um, and now, I do know that there are some people that refuse to engage in The Escapist. Those people are a little... Wow. Bit, how dry. I how think those are super snobs. And I think there's some people that completely <laughs> refuse to engage in the artsy-fartsy stuff. Sure, yeah. And those people yeah. are... I lean more that direction, but not yeah. totally. Yeah. But, like, again, it's like, I just, I don't know. Like, I always, I just can't trust a person that says they just categorically don't like something. Yeah, yeah. There's and I've been guilty of that. Like, of it, like, I, uh, you know, like, I used to say that about modern art. Like, just fuck, fuck it. Like, it's mm-hmm. all garbage. And then. I've gone to McDonald's. I've gone to Burger King. I've gone uh, to Wendy's. I don't like hamburgers. Right. right Hate them. Hamburgers right. are they're, terrible. They're shit. They're, 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 the, they're the lowest common denominator of food. Anyway, um, each person can make their own decision about the fate of Varga based on inner belief. I felt that way at the end of Sopranos as well, until I went online and heard different theories that I was able to come to grips with it and enjoy it for what it was, mainly because I agreed with what I wanted to see happen to Tony. For me, there's no one in this season, though, that I could really get behind. Gloria's the best case, but I felt sorry and frustrated for her rather than rally behind her. Maybe it was a relaxed way her character was portrayed... Maybe seeing an unemotional cop whose family member is murdered in TV land is rarely seen, so it's new and different. I was glad for her at the end until the fade to black. I want to believe in the end that she won, uh, but was this a Fargo ending or a No Country for Old Men ending? The title says Fargo. I'm keeping it consistent and say she got him, but her smile did falter, so shit, I don't know. (laughs) I want to talk about this point because before we sat down to do this podcast, we watched the last scene three or four times. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you? How would you describe Carrie Coon's visage uh, in that final scene? Uh, I mean, she goes from pretty—I don't know—placid face to a smile that mm-hmm. I don't think ever breaks. But she's she's ultimately she's still waiting. You know, nothing has happened. Nobody has busted in to either take Varga away or to free him. So, like, the smile, whatever it says about her mental state at that time, doesn't say anything about the actual outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of liken it to the end of Inception, where you watch the totem spin, and then right before it was going to begin to falter or wobble, it cuts to black. And then the movie's like, you know, I feel like I've given you everything you need to to answer the question, so you answer it. And Mm -hmm. what's funny about that is, like, uh, I think that about the season of Fargo... You and I completely are uh, in agreement about Inception, but we're in disagreement about Fargo. Uh-huh. So I don't know if that be- it's, it's Fargo is more masterful and it's ambiguous. I don't know if that says something fundamentally different about the way you and I view the world. Mm-hmm. Um, or what the creators were trying to do. But I do think it's not fair to say her smile faltered. It certainly faltered, yeah. but then it recovered by the end. So if you're if you're using her grin or lack thereof to judge the ending, maybe give the – because the other thing is, like, you know, we're terrible eyewitnesses. If you watch this thing once and then had a predisposition to think one way and then you start retconning her smile and all that stuff into it, maybe look at, look at and, it again. I mean, are you trying to use the smile to um, determine the outcome here? Because the smile has nothing to do with the outcome. Whether she broke down into tears knowing this was true yeah. has nothing to do with whether those men actually bust through the door and say, let him go. True. So Yeah, that's true. So, I mean – 
really is just showing what she thinks about the odds of the outcome here. Unless you believe in some kind of the secret type mumbo jumbo where you can literally remake the world <laughs> right. with your own consciousness. You which visualize what you that, want. That would be a Fargo kind of thing. Like if they kinda, established yeah. that that's the way the universe works. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Cy was the other real person to rally for, but I couldn't quite do it either. When he is unleashed, quote unquote, and his unleashedness is to give them more money to go away. But then in the same scene, Varga's men mega unleash and leaves him standing there, making him look like small fry. Was Cy's unleashed the Minnesota unleash? It was a sigh of relief to see him at the table and end. Uh, and he apologizes for the pun. Yeah, that's pretty uh, bad. <laughs> so I thought that I, – I truly thought, and I know you disagree – um, that Psy was going to hurt or murder uh, Nikki when she showed up at that abandoned parking lot mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I guess I Psy just never struck me as that guy. But I think he's the type of guy that would do anything for Emmett. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that too. And and, and, and Emmett but his definition cut... of anything might be no, but like, a little like, more like Emmett just really cut him to the quick and saying like, "Who are you? And what do you even do for me? And what is your purpose in uh-huh. life?" And I felt like Sai, yeah, like I, I, I mean, it's de- certainly debatable. Obviously, yeah, yeah. we're debating it, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, I, I, I thought that, but this the way the Vargas men did it bigger and better and more casually. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, but I guess there again, it's like what you believe. Finally, I was hoping that when Emmett's car broke down, he would look out across the field and see an ice scraper sticking out of the snow and find the money left by Steve Buscemi in the movie. <laughs> I didn't know the timeline and how it would affect the first season, but I was disappointed that it didn't happen. Maybe season drives off. It was just a hope of mine. You know, I thought that the bag of cash would be something that that welds the uh, series together because they mm-hmm. did touch on that in the first season. Yeah. Um, and I guess they they decided that wasn't that that wasn't interesting enough to follow the money throughout its time, like this cursed million dollars or whatever. And wrench is the thing that binds us all together. But mm-hmm. I'm a bit disappointed because, and I also felt the same way that there would be when when he was on that isolated section of road and he broke down. That I I, I could almost see the red scraper. I remember talking to Cecily about that. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. No. I mean, that would have been the ultimate heights of greed, right? A man who has millions of dollars stashed away in hidden accounts to go and then dig up this money and decide, yeah, this is mine now. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I, I agree with um, I agree with Jason about the use of the money or the the bringing the money and bringing that back around. But yeah, yeah. I don't agree with the like you know just just him taking it because it, you know you'd have to rewrite Emmett to make that all make narrative sense but it's it is a shame i i, th- I thought the cash would be a much bigger deal mm-hmm. um so whatever uh because the other thing is wrench can weld the tv universe as much as he wants he can't do shit about the movie because they shot it and he ain't in it so <laughs> that's true um it's the cash was their one shot to have a through line that tied all this stuff together and it had like an underlying mystery but i guess holly doesn't that's not something interesting interests him mm. Brett B. Brent B. I, like most people, were quite disappointed with the finale of Fargo. And I hate to say you guys sounded... I have to say that you guys sounded quite apologetic during the review of it. Hmm. It seemed like you kept having to explain each scene with the numerous questions the show left hanging. You didn't really come up with clear answers. Ah, fair point. That's true, yeah. Um, from the beginning of the podcast, you didn't agree on how it ended. Jim saw it one way, Aaron saw it the other. Not only is the ending ambiguous, the whole episode was, and it felt contrived and had writer's fingerprints all over it. I kept interrupting my enjoyment of simply watching an episode with questions. God damn it. This guy 
is essentially saying everything I said about last season, and I can't condemn him for it. Uh, Each scene brought up more questions, and you guys tried to answer them, but you couldn't fully because the story didn't give you enough info. How did Varga get away in a warehouse? Is he supernatural? Is Nikki with the stamp pranks? Seems like the writers use this as a cop-out. If a character is supernatural, that's cool with me, but it needs to be shown on screen in some ways, which it's not. But where were you in season one where the same shit was going on with Lauren Malvo? Right. Like, I guess the big difference is... And this might be the only difference, is I decided that season two of Fargo wasn't bad. I just was resistant to the wavelength. And I'd seen that in interfere with my enjoyment of season one. And if you've heard me say this whole season, I went in here ready to embrace supernatural fish. And I do think that that element was better this season. Mm-hmm. But how much of that is because I really tried to scrub that bias out of my, my brain. Right. Because I don't go for recording hours and hours and spending ten times that many hours on a show to shit on it. I don't. I don't like doing it. <laughs> sure. It's bad podcasting. It's uh-huh. bad for business. It's just bad all around. So, um, I, I you know, it's like a, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you broke your suspension of disbelief, then everything is, is bullshit. And if, if, if it maintained your suspension of disbelief, you don't even – Think about those things. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, until people started sending me feedback, I never even questioned about, you know, Emmett breaking down and getting back in his car and driving out. And I had to, you know, post hoc think of an explanation for that. But, like, it didn't even occur to me to question it because, to me, that wasn't the main point of the, the episode. Yeah, I suppose it depends on what you think they're trying to do with the show right? Um, and the season. But I, I think if, you know, if there was a season of Fargo that – had hinted at this supernatural presence, I think the most obvious one is season three because of the Ray Weiss stuff, right? I mean, Lauren Malvo always had those moments where you go, man, is he supernatural? What's going on here? No, there. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's hard. It's but, hard. but it was never pinned down kind of like it was in season three. So Right, right. But, like, you know, Varga's escape is, is very much like Lauren's escape from the basement in season one. Right. Um, his blacking out the bathroom in season one. Um, it's, it's, but, but it's hard to see Yuri is bowling out experience as anything but supernatural. Right. Because we never saw him again. The last thing he saw was Helga from, uh, the, the Cossack land or whatever, the, ma- the, the massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then him seeing her like, uh, and the fact that, you know, he does seem like he, he claims to be a 300 year old character. And in various points in the series, uh-huh. so like that's by definition supernatural. Yeah. So Ray know. Wise, you know, um, David F. I have a very simple yet fruitful hope. I hope question for you. As Fargo is both a sequence of three seasons, but also a, in other senses a collection of loosely linked anthology series, in which season two takes a step back in time. What do you think would be the effect of a brand new viewer in watching these series in a different order? I'd ask you particularly to consider the in chronological order sequence, which someone could watch season two, then Fargo the movie, then season one, then season three. Imagine the main effects would be considering and enjoying the stories of Hansi, Lou, and Wrench, but other implications may occur to you. I think Fargo the movie would feel woefully out of place in that. Really? How yeah. so? Because you kind of lose any any of the threads that you have going on in these three seasons. And I know they're not that many, but like, can you imagine, okay, we, we know of Lou Salverson, right? And like his story. Um, and then we go over to Fargo, but then we come back to Molly. It'd feel like, why did we take this detour into essentially 
this hmm. separate story. Huh. I guess that's a good point. I mean, in principle, I am one of the ones that say if you're a newbie to something and you're you're going into a collection, I always advise people to watch it in the order that the author or creator released it. Yeah. Because if you you know, if you if you if you get something sometimes when you read stuff chronologically, you inadvertently spoil later things for yourself because the author hadn't fully brought those to development or he hadn't thought them all the way through. And if you re- if you read them in release order, um, I, I, and that, that's a, for the first time. Now, second, third times you rewatch something or reread something, do whatever the hell you want because, mm-hmm. you know, you already appreciate all those themes and characters and, and you can get sometimes new stuff out of that. But I, I, I guess I always go with, like, you should respect the author's intent of how they released it and and go with that as your first view because otherwise you're second guessing uh, and maybe that's I don't know maybe that's warranted in some cases I've never seen one where I thought it was compelling like a lot of people say oh read you know Feast of Crow and Dance of uh, Dragons and Boiled Leather Audio Hour f- format where it's all chronological and I'm like I, I, uh, for the first time I don't know I don't know maybe maybe that would be enjoyment because those two mo- the novels are kind of a mess um, I'm talking about Game of Thrones stuff here but I, I've very rarely seen it like a lot of times people say like oh when you sit down and watch make people watch the Star Wars you should do it in you know like do right. what what they say do like one yeah, one two know. four five three six and then where do you put the new ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like chronological from there. Like I, I but, yeah. but why you only you only know, you only have that opinion because you saw it first the first time and you're mm. a fan of it. So like it, you know, like what the hell? I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but yeah, so like I I think that would be a great experience for a second watch. But I I I always go like yeah, you gotta you gotta go you gotta go straight into it. Respect. It might give you a false sense of what the show is. Like if you go yeah. from Lou Salverson to Molly Salverson, you might be expecting season three to be something more tied in. Uh, and when you don't get it, it might feel a little bit weird. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Cause yeah, this is a, especially for an anthology. It's, I don't know, man, everyone loves season two and I irrationally dislike it, <laughs> but I, I, I sometimes wonder if Holly took a misstep there. Um, by tying and but it does seem also an inevitable thing because I, I see a lot of the anthologies that run long enough they start trying to tie the threads together. It's very like you know the yeah. um, what's his face is doing that on American Horror Story right now, and I, I don't really like it. Hmm. It fucks up the whole idea of the anthology and what makes it special. Yeah. Uh, David H. First off, did you notice a little detail in the storage center where Nikki and Wrench planned the massacre was named King Midas Storage? I'm sure you can see the allegory there. I don't. Do you get it? No, like everything got gold my... touch. I don't. Yeah, everything... I mean, it was a tragedy, though. Uh huh. It's not like that's a good thing. Uh, maybe that's the thing. Like King King Midas. Um, what that that actually is a cautionary tale, right? Yeah, yeah. He turns uh, everything to gold, including his dick or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, maybe that's maybe that is Varga because he has got the Midas touch, but yeah. Um, or maybe he's got the the sidem satem. There's no more touch. to this email. It's just I'm sure you guys get it. No, that was well, there there's no more about that. There's no there's no more about that. But it's yeah, placed faith. I think I think you're right. It's it's he's going to cautionary original lesson of King because now everyone's got the Midas touch. It's like oh that's that you got the Midas touch. It's great. Right. Well, you can't touch your wife or kids uh-huh. now or your dick, like you said. What are you going to do now? <laughs> yeah, your food. Uh, it's a tragedy. <laughs> 
Uh, lastly, reading about this po- past episode and hearing your thoughts on it, there's a lot of things were not necessarily ideal, especially from for such a packed run t- up to the finale. The episodes leading to the finale were some of the best in recent memory, and I'm of the camp of people that are not necessarily happy about the Choose Your Own Adventure ending, but I understand with the politics of the day why post-facts, alternative facts, your own theories make this kind of exciting just from a storytelling basis. And listening to how deep you guys went into the politics and religious history and mythology, it's clear that Noah did the same thing for essentially the whole season. So why would he not put something in the last episode that could be researched to the point of trying to understand it better? I'm not saying I have it figured out, but I would like to believe that rather than just leaving it totally up to whatever the viewer feels, there must be some hidden clues throughout the season to tie up the ending and make it unambiguous. Hmm. Um he says he would not have spent so much time on weird little Easter eggs of mysticism if he did not want people to scrutinize every bit of the series. So this this does ha- share a lot because I feel like that the the knee jerk reaction of Sopranos is this is stupid and bullshit and <laughs> my cable went out. Uh-huh. But it does seem like more the majority of so- the Sopranos fans have come around to an understanding that that they like and appreciate. Hmm. about the way and and that the obvious it's it's very obvious uh the, the the ending of sopranos is very obvious and it was and, and david chase did not intend it to be ambiguous i don't think that's true about this finale because i do feel like part of the artist intent was to put the onus of action and belief on you mm-hmm. uh to provoke a reaction and you know Noah Holly, if you you know if you lay it all bare, Noah Holly is a liberal Hollywood type, and he wants you to provoke. He wants to provoke you to a certain type of action. Okay. You know, Ayn Rand wants to provoke you to a completely different reaction. Uh-huh. Like that's her. That's that's what the artists do, right? So I, I don't feel like where, for example, um, uh, fucking uh, Inception guy, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Thank you, Christopher Nolan. Um, I don't think he intended Inception to be ambiguous. Yeah, uh, I don't think David Chase intended Sopranos to be ambiguous. I do think Noah Hawley intended it to be ambiguous. Sure, just like uh, Damon Lindelof and Tom Perota right. intended for The Leftovers to be ambiguous. Right. Yeah, there's another good example. So there's two types of that, like, where the artist is like, no, seriously, uh, I've given you everything you need, fucking solve the mystery. And then others where it's like, no, there is no mystery. It's just up to uh, what you're going to do about it and right. what you're going to believe. And that's part of the thing. That's part of the art that you're appreciating. You know, uh, I think it's that type. But I mean, because the other thing is, I also think from a long history of Easter eggs and shit that so few of those things are actually supposed to be anything more than just. I don't know, uh, you know, like fucking rhinestones. Yeah. Like cowboy belt. Just nods to the audience. They're not, which... holding, you know, they're not holding your pants up any higher. It's just they're, they're cool to look at and you can appreciate the detail. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Um so it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't astound me over the next year if someone does have some kind of grand unification theory that like mm-hmm. lays more weight on on Gloria's side or Vargas side, but it also wouldn't surprise me if no one ever comes to a conclusion like that. Uh, if you had to, if I put a gun in your head, which would you prefer? Would you prefer like a year from now to read like a Vox takedown where they put they they've done the Charlie Day crazy conspiracy theory, <laughs> Carrie Matheson style yarn board of connecting facts, and it's like it's like QED Varga was set free, or would you rather like it be a mystery that stands up to scrutiny? Yeah, I usually like it when. If the intention is to go for that big question at the end, there isn't anything that sways it one way or the other. I, I like for 
you know, that question to remain a question and one that you need to think about, not one you need to go on the Internet and read the answer to, you know? Right. Dave McBee, reading through the forums, I'm shocked that people argued about a few things, such as fingerprint gun. Of course, it doesn't exist. It was just Vargas stalling, so Mimo could be Mimo. The silencer suppressor is not doing much. Hey, it's Hollywood where Dirty Harry can fire a 44 Magnum accurately with one hand. <laughs> I'd be unaffected by recoil. Police procedures and incorrect uniforms and Emmett's phone as a plot hole. This is a show with fishnados and UFOs. Forget small details. Everything is off the board and doesn't need to be explained. I will just say that this type of email directed at me last year was maddening. And Uh I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not (laughs) going to say that. I'm just going to observe that if you call bullshit on something, it's very easy to just pull the mask off of what the fictional world you're looking at and say it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and you acknowledge that bias in everyone, yourself included, at the beginning of this podcast. So, yes. Yeah. So I just, you know, again, I'm not out to change anybody's mind. If, if anything, because I, I, I guess this podcast is for Fargo people are on the fence or confused. And if I can help you enjoy something that you're predisposed to enjoy, great. If not, man, uh, maybe we, next we season cover other shows. <laughs> we cover other shows. Hey, yeah, crowd please are coming up. Game of Thrones. You might have heard of it. How can you it. go wrong? Big tent. There's dragons. Yep. There's murderous dwarves, swords and bastards, and there's magic, all kinds of cool uh, stuff, all, all all kinds of zomb- ice uh, zombies. If you're The Walking Dead, it's something for everybody, uh, and it's pretty smart television on top of all that too. So, yep. um, join us for that. It starts in like a week or two. Uh, so, and we got lots of other stuff coming down too. And also, if Fargo Four comes around, maybe that's we the one I get to hate and you get to love. There you go. Um, I've been. The thing is, is I can tell you, listener, I've been in your shoes and your seats, <laughs> no matter which side you've been on, because I've right. hated this show and I've loved this show. So I get it. I get it. Uh, but unfortunately, that's that's all there is to be got this season. Oh, okay. Uh, we are we are done. We have considered all the viewpoints uh, that we got up until uh, twelve p.m. on six twenty nine two thousand seventeen. And we're ready to put this show into stasis. And I, like you said, it's 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 interesting because I think this is the first time we've ever done a show where we've gone away and not known whether we're getting more or when we're getting more. Yeah, I think so. Um, this, I I feel like there will be more. That's that's my gut instinct here is that Holly wants to do more. He just doesn't have it ready. He doesn't have an idea for it. What would you think of a Fargo movie? directed by holly <laughs> okay i was gonna say that might already exist might uh, I, I also wonder what the cohen brothers would think because it seems like they yeah they they gave him executive producer credits gave him a gave him uh some some cash off the the tickets uh stubs or whatever mm-hmm. the tv equivalent is i wonder what they would think about them come him coming on their turf and making a fargo movie yeah that'd be interesting i i mean Especially what, you, what you would just you call, call it, it Fargo? You, like, yeah, you remake it with a different Fargo story. Fargo 2018 or 2019? I guess that's that's Fargo. There's precedent for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I I that I think that would be kind of cool. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I would watch it for sure. Because that's the other thing. I've never seen Holly do a short form, you know, thing. I've mm-hmm. never seen him have to tell a story in two hours. Yeah, can he? Like, I don't know. I I kind of think because like every one of his shows. There's been two to three episodes where I'm like, "Gee whiz, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know." I'm t- I, and, and 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 to be fair, I think 
a lot of what happened in the end of the season redeemed the first few episodes a little bit, but still, like, I, part of me says that, I don't know, the L.A. thing's still kind of indulgent, and those first two episodes were a lot of twiddling that didn't need to be twiddled. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it felt the same way about the Legion. I felt the same way about season one and two of Fargo. It'd be interesting to see if he could just like tell a story in in two hours. I bet he could. Yeah, I bet he could. He's yeah. he's a storyteller. You know. I wonder if that's actually because I I was listening. Uh, Vince Villigan was talking about the challenges of television versus movies because he's never shot a movie, but he always felt mm-hmm. he made the analogy about what Ginger Roberts said about Fred Astaire. It's like. I do everything Fred does backwards and heels. Yeah. He's like, I do everything that a Hollywood guy does in a uh, 30th of the time and budget. Yep. So, like, if anything, I bet, you know, having a $100 million movie is easy. Now, I bet he's probably wrong in that mm-hmm. the directors of these big franchise films are more like CEOs than artists at this point. Mm-hmm. And there's just, like, the scope and scale of everything. I, I bet he's, a, he's he's probably speaking a little bit out of ignorance, but... Probably not wrong entirely, too. Yeah. That's a completely information-free statement I just made. I apologize. We should have ended the podcast uh, two minutes ago. That's it. Uh, if you want to talk about it more, you're gonna you're, you only record the, the the forums because, honestly, I'm never going to open up the Fargo mailbox until, yeah, until three the next years time. Now. Yeah, like Leave us a gift, I sure. guess. Like If you want to send a juicy morsel into Fargo at baldmove.com. Put a red ice scraper. So uh-huh. I can find it years from now and yep. enjoy it then. But, yeah, for forums from here on out or go to baldmove.com. And as we previously mentioned, enjoy all of our retinue of, 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 of fine quality television and movie analysis uh, entertainment podcast. Until the next time, whenever that next time will be, uh, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you when we see you. Marvel keeps bumping up against the fact that they sold their, a lot of rights to franchise stuff to Sony. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to go bigger than Thanos, you go Galactus. But he's part of the Silver Surfer Fantastic Four franchise that Sony still owns. Which also sucks hardcore. Yeah, and they were, as I was looking in this forum where they're going down like the big bads in the Marvel Universe, and a lot of them are tied up, like the Scree, a lot of them are tied up in mm. that Sony contract. And like, man... They had to open up a lot of vault to get Spider-Man back. Um, it would be, I think, it would be in everyone's best interest if if Marvel Studios and Disney eventually acquired the X-Men and Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four and all those properties. Maybe Marvel, maybe but Disney can just buy Sony. That'll solve the problem. They might, they might, <laughs> because like Disney had Dis, Disney is just this fucking juggernaut of yeah. a, a company. And then they bought Marvel, and then they bought Lucasfilm, and then right. they, they flipped the assets into billion-dollar films that just never stop. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know. Like, Mickey Mouse is going to go in the public domain in, like, the next two years. I feel like the mouse is going to buy Congress, too. It's for sale. <laughs> to slap cash on the barrel. Bam, yeah, but honestly, done. who gives a fuck about Mickey Mouse, right? I know they're fighting for more than Mickey Mouse. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not about Mickey. It's about, you know, preserving the copyright uh, law of essentially indefinitely mm-hmm. so that all of their other stuff as well is covered right. but like which is still bullshit yeah totally I mean, I, although i mean maybe another way to look at this is the mouse saw it coming and they he diversified yeah. into iron man and uh they got that for 90 years yeah so right. fuck fuck it i'm i'm making money coming and going bitch yeah why not I mean, you don't think the mouse talks like that but he does <laughs> <laughs>
He's a right. gutter rat when you get him in the negotiation room. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it for Baby Driver. We'll be back in two weeks for Spider-Man. Uh-huh. It's going to be a fun one. See you then.